Google's down. Can't get to Google. It's gone kaput, they say. And it had. Not Google.com, but Google.com.ar. I'm just impressed they're using German. Yeah. What? Yeah. Kaput. Oh, kaput is German? Well, famously, famously, there are quite a lot of Germans in Argentina. <laughs> exactly. Well, but we don't yeah. like to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> so... <laughs> Smashing Security, Episode 225, Master of Your Domain, Gripe Sites, and John Deere Farmageddon, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 225. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. And we're joined this week by returning guest, it's Mark Stockley. Hello, Mark. Hello. The chicken guy. (laughs) (laughs) The weirdo from the video stream. He was not a weirdo. It was a bit weird. No, it was a bit weird. It gave some people nightmares, let's be honest. (laughs) You're referring, of course, to the live Christmas special. I I am, yes. A while ago now, isn't it? Maybe it's time for us not to do one of them again. (laughs) Exactly. Now, Mark, Mark, is there anything you want to uh, shout about or uh, plug at this stage? Can I do a hat tip to my beautiful wife? She and the company that she works for, Traced, did some research into some fairly horrible uh, WhatsApp-based stalking. Oh, yeah. Um, Do you know when you use WhatsApp, it basically tells the mothership when you're online? Uh Uh-huh. Right. And you think you can turn that off, but you can't. There are other things that you can turn off that are a lot like that. But there is actually a, there is a, a, an online status that you can't turn off. And uh, what's happened is this ecosystem of apps and websites has grown up around this uh, undocumented API that allows them to tell when other people are online. And so um, what's happening is that uh, people are using these apps to try and work out if their partners are having affairs by putting in the phone numbers of their partner and the person they think they're having an affair with and then comparing when they're online on WhatsApp. Oh, for God's sake. And it, it, all, it all sounds kind of a bit kind of jovial and fun, but this is actually quite serious uh, enabling of stalking behaviour. So this isn't visible via the regular WhatsApp app, but is via yes. the WhatsApp API. So the the API that the app uses, yeah, uh, sends us. Uh, okay, the the app uses the API to tell. Should we have her on, Mark? Yeah, probably, it, probably. You? Yeah, because you, you don't really <laughs> seem to. I think yeah. we need to get Mrs. Stockley on here because she sounds smart, smart, smart. She could probably floundering around. She trying could to... probably describe this really well. We'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> Enough said. She impressed the pants off you. Yes, she did. Thanks to this week's sponsor, 1Password. It's support help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up on today's show, Graham, what do you got? Oh, I'm going to tell you about how Google got itself into a tango in Argentina. Okay. And Mark, what about you? I am going to be talking about the most secure software company in the world. Ooh. And I'm going to tell you just what the heck gripe sites are. All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chums, chums, have you ever dreamt about being the supreme leader in a country? Maybe a little tin pot country, republic somewhere. Why tin pot? 
Well, you know, I'm. I'm <laughs> what country have you dreamt of being the supreme leader of? Well, Girl, not not a, not a country, a planet, right? Now, would you be Empress uh, Eternal? Would you be dictator? What? What? I wouldn't of, be would a dictator. I wouldn't be a dictator. I'd probably be like a big hippie. It wouldn't work out very well. It wouldn't work nah. out very well, would it? No. Sometimes you need a rod of iron. My eye would be off the ball. Someone yeah. to keep an eye on all the minions. Someone to zip around on a speedboat, bestowing decrees. Well, forget all your dreams, Scroll and Mark, because I'm going to crush them for you. It's very unlikely you will ever be the supreme leader. It's a life which is out of the reach of most of us. But what about having the number one website in a country? Wouldn't that be kind of a... <laughs> is, wouldn't is, that be a substitute is for this, that? Is this just a very long-winded way of you saying your website's doing quite well? <laughs> You've noticed that the traffic on your website has gone up a little bit. And you're trying to convince us no. that, in a way, that makes you like the leader of a country. Okay? All right, Graham. All right, Graham. You're the leader of Graham Land. <laughs> I'll give you clue. I'll give you that if you have the number one website across the land in the digital sphere, you have some clout. You have some clout. You have some clout. And what would be the number one website in a country? Probably Google. Google. <laughs> Imagine if you owned Google's website. Imagine the turmoil you could cause and the mischief and the power you would have. Well, one person who had that power is a chap called Nicholas Corona. Oh, unfortunate name. He is a web designer based in Buenos Aires, 30 years old. I've seen some photographs of him. Piers, he is the owner of a soul patch. And on Wednesday... <laughs> The, not the owner, the sporter. Okay, if you prefer. <laughs> I, the reason I'm laughing is not because I think soul patches are funny. No, because that's serious. Of, because of the way that you said soul patch, I think gave away something of how you feel about soul patches. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm a big fan. Am I warm? <laughs> I just think, okay, I don't want to upset any of our listeners, but I think in these times of pandemic, when we're under lockdown, to be quite so meticulous with your facial hair as to leave the soul patch but get rid of the moustache. Seems like you've got too much time on your hands. You know who has too much time on their hands worrying about what? such shit? What? You. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with Graham. We should all just let our facial hair run free, just like Graham and I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so impressive. <laughs> on Wednesday last week, <laughs> friends of Nicholas Corona WhatsApped him. They said, hey, buddy, they said. Google's down. Can't get to Google. It's gone kaput, they said. And it had. Not Google.com, but Google.com.ar, <laughs> right? Because there are lots of different Google websites. I'm impressed they're using German. Yeah. What? Yeah. Kaput. Oh, kaput is German? Well, famously, famously, there are quite a lot of Germans in Argentina. <laughs> exactly. Well, but we don't <laughs> like to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> So, the, the soul patch is just a disguise. <laughs> exactly. Can't have a moustache. That'll be a giveaway. <laughs> Got to get rid of the moustache. <laughs> Take it off. Stick it on a couple of inches lower. Oh, I think we all needed that little giggle there. Okay. Carry on, Clue. You're doing great. <laughs> so google.com.ar, because there are lots of different Google websites, right? You can go to google.cn or google.com.hk if you fancy your Google with a Chinese flavour, right? Now, 
normally you'd shrug, you'd think, mm-hmm. oh, big deal, right? Google's down. So what? It'll be back in a few hours. You know, I'm sure you, you can get on with your work the best you can. You're not going to worry about it because someone else is going to fix it, right? Uh-huh. No, 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 no. Because web designer Nicholas Corona, he thought, no, no, I'm interested. Why is Google down, he thought? Why is Google.com.ar? I'm not thinking that people are thinking, who cares? Because a lot of people have like cloud drives in Google. There's a lot of work there. They wouldn't be able to get on with stuff. It can be disruptive. It can be disruptive, but there might be something. Okay. Um, thank you for giving that. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you for acknowledging that it could be slightly disruptive to, I don't know, 90% of small businesses. Yeah. That right. it. Their yeah. laptop was on fire. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. move Go along. Have lunch. Go have lunch. Ca- Get crack a on with your day. Yes. <laughs> Carry on with your work. <laughs> he went to NIC Argentina, the Network Information Centre. He went to their website. Right. So he thought, I'll just look up, I'll look up the google.com.ar domain, he said. The NIC are the people who are responsible for controlling the Argentinian country code domain. Mm-hmm. And to his surprise, he was greeted by a message saying that google.com.ar was available <laughs> if he wanted it. Dios mio! <laughs> in fact, <laughs> got in him But a mere <laughs> Donald Blitzen. <laughs> For a mere 270 pesos, right. which is about $2.90 in American, for just a couple of dollars, he mm-hmm. could buy google.com.ar. And so he did. He bought Google Argentina's domain name. Now, having bought it, what would you do if you acquired the domain? Well, I'd declare myself king of Argentina, obviously. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Based on the precedent we set earlier. Yeah. I am God. Yeah. Universal Thanos or something. Well, he could have done something malicious, couldn't he? He could have pointed it to a malicious web page, installed some malware. He could could have sent it to a porn site, maybe through an affiliate link and made himself some pesos that way. He could have created a web page rammed full of Google ads, couldn't he? And made some (laughs) money. Because imagine how much traffic a page like that's going to get. Irony. He could have sent it to Bing.com. Microsoft would have been pleased. Well, there's some mystery to how this all happened, because it sounds like Google simply forgot to renew its domain and had let it expire. Yeah. But some people have dug around, and they've said, no, 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 they say. Google.com.ar wasn't scheduled to expire until July. Ooh. So Google had plenty of time to renew it. So. There is a mystery as to how this happened. Did the NIC, did the NIC, did they somehow goof up and allow this domain to be acquired? Seems, seems very peculiar and, and worrying because if Google didn't goof up, then presumably that means potentially this could happen to any number of other domains. Yeah, but Google's kind of the biggest one, right? That's kind of oh, sure. You know, I mean, it could happen to a mom and pop shop, but not many people no, would care. Caroli, let me translate right. for you. If this can happen to Google, <laughs> this could happen to GrahamCluley.com. <laughs> okay, this is a serious matter. We need to get to the bottom of this because he's he's had a bit of a traffic spike. Okay, can't afford for that to be ruined by some Nazi script kitty with a soul patch. <laughs> Buying up his domain. <laughs> you know him so well. So we, we don't know how this happened. The NIC, they took the domain back. Having sold it to him for $2.90, they then thought, oh, hang on. Maybe they realised the mistake. Maybe Google got in touch. Who knows? But they grabbed it back. 
Can they do that? Well, yes, that well they did, and they haven't paid him back his two dollars ninety. I I think if it's Google's domain, yes, yes, they can do that, <laughs> because in a way, Google is a ruler of a country. Yeah, I, I was thinking when he bought it actually, like that's on the one hand. Hey, this is fun. It, it's curious and interesting, and there's a great story here, and I can give it back to them like a bit of a bit of a hero. On the other hand, mm. they're clearly going to want this. Like, this is obviously a mistake, and they're going to want it back. And if I remember correctly, Google has money and lawyers, so <laughs> so you're you're going to give it back to them. Okay, I'm just if you wanted a shitstorm in the situation. Okay, what about this? Mm. So you buy the domain. Then you put on like, hey, give money to the poor, feed the poor, something like this. Google then take it offline. Then you've got a PR crisis on your hands because Google just shut you down, even though you're trying to do a good thing. Well, I think somebody actually (laughs) did something similar a few years ago in Palestine. Really? Because there's a Google Palestine Mm. in the same way as you said earlier, there's a Google everything else. And I believe that... Somebody did a DNS hijack, so they didn't actually hack Google Palestine. They they managed to fish somebody who managed the domain name. They got control of Google Palestine and effectively redirected the traffic. Uh, now, I think it was sort of hacktivist, script kiddie, kind of the usual. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm reading about it right now. Apparently, according to the Washington Post, it was in objection to Google Maps labeling... Uh, Palestinian mm. territories mm. as being Israeli. Yes. So there you go. Mischief makers. And this isn't the only time. So we've just seen this in Argentina. We've seen it in Palestine. In September 2015, a former Google employee called San Mayved, he purchased Google.com, the real Google.com. What? For $12. Wow. <laughs> he bought it. He bought it. Get this bit. He bought the domain through Google's own domain registration service. <laughs> Google <laughs> domains. <laughs> now, I love it. He, he perhaps wisely only owned it for one minute. Because I think he realised quite. Why is it wise? Because. It was sitting there on their domain. He's going to end up in court or something. Fine. But he'd get like a little pittance for <laughs> he his. He was probably terrified. So he quickly reversed the transaction. He probably bought it thinking, this won't happen. How can Google's own domain service allow me to buy its domain? But it worked. And so well, it, it returned. Why wouldn't you just sit back and wait for the phone call? Just, I would just sit and wait and just go, Google, I'll rent it to you. Don't worry. Don't panic. I think I would redirect it to let me Google that for you. <laughs> oh, funny, 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 funny. Now, Google funny. paid him. And write this down, $6,006.13. Have you got it? Yeah. Did you squinch? Uh. Yeah? No. Uh. No, I get it. <laughs> because if you, if you squint a bit. It's not boob 13, is it? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so did you, it was, it was 6,006. Yes, and 13 cents. Are we laboring this point too much? The point is if you squint a bit. <laughs> We it says Google. <laughs> wow. Oh, my oh. God, it does. Wow. That's how wow. wacky those Google guys are. Um, yeah. They ended up giving twice as much money to charity and things. Um, it's not just Google. In 2003, Microsoft forgot to renew its Hotmail.co.uk domain, uh, which was very alarming for the 17 people who were still using it. Um, I don't understand why. If they screw up and don't register their own domains and someone scoops it up, I think fair play to them. I don't know why you'd be shitting yourself. I think you'd be sitting on the motherload. 
Do you think it's a responsible way to act as a citizen of the internet, Carol? Uh, yeah. I think, well, I think you've told us quite a lot about yourself. <laughs> okay. Well, wow, everyone. There you go. There's me. Denuded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The thing is, the thing is, it's actually really hard to lose control of a domain name. That's the thing that always confuses me in these stories. Mm. Because registrars, they generally have hold of this idea that you probably want to keep your domain name. And so the, the, the process is very rarely these days, you buy a domain name and then on a given date, that's it. What happens normally is that, you know, you buy a domain name and then uh, months and months before it lapses, <laughs> they're emailing you saying, your domain name is up for renewal in three months' time. Would you like to renew? Would you like to sign up for 50 years? And then when you actually get to the date, most of them have some sort of uh, like a purgatory period. Mm. So they will often sort of reserve it for you for three months. So they kind of hold on to it anyway and keep it working. And then you, you just sort of pick up in arrears. And then even after that, there's often another period where they – sort of put it in cold storage where you don't have it anymore. And I think you have to pay them a little bit extra, but they won't sell it to anyone else. Now, this it, it depends on the top-level domain. you know. So yeah. maybe the rules are different for .ar than they are for .com or for .co.uk mm. or what have you. But it, it, by and large, this is quite hard. And, then, and that's aside from anything like, I don't know, your own calendar reminders. Because if you're Google, you would think that's quite an important thing to keep ownership of. <laughs> I agree. Um, so I, I'm, it mystifies me that this ever happens, and I have never worked for a company that has had problems renewing domain names ever, apart from the one that we all work for. Yeah. What, the, what sound was that? Let's, let's not tell that story. Oh, God. <laughs> Mark! Mark! Yes! Over to you. What have you got for us? <laughs> I have got some great news. Oh, good. So uh, we can all go home. We, we're already at home, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't left home in about 18 months. But thanks. <laughs> you make a good point. <laughs> anyway, I guess what I'm saying is we could wrap up the podcast because we don't need to carry on because I think computer security may have been solved. Oh. So it looks as if somebody may have actually cracked the computer security problem. Finally. Um, and yeah, exactly. And if they have, then we can all just stop banging on about computer security. Thank God. And we can do something else. Caroli, <laughs> you could, I don't know, you could go and start a podcast about difficult situations or something. <laughs> uh, Good idea. Graham, I Graham, I, I, maybe you could mumble over some chess videos or something. <laughs> I, I feel like there's something in that. Anyway, I think I may have discovered the most secure software vendor in the world. Okay. Right. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't my discovery. It was a guy called Paul F. Roberts. So anyway, he wrote an article uh, for mm. Forbes a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so really, it was his discovery. But anyway, I read the article. So in a way, <laughs> I am talking, of course, <laughs> about the $120 billion Internet of Things supergiant, John Deere. Oh, tractors. Yeah. You say tractors. Well, they do a lot of stuff. They're pretty big. I yeah, know when I say John Deere, you know, I think of very, very shiny green tractors. But when I say Internet of Things, what do you think of? Uh, Alexa. Toasters. I, I, I think about uh, shit gadgets when yeah. I think of the Internet of Things. Shit gadgets I don't need. Vacuums, things like that, right, Graham? Yeah. Toothbrush. That sort of stuff. Anyway, 
when you think about the Internet of Things, you you actually have to think a bit bigger than that. You need to think about fleets of automated GPS guided heavy farm machinery <laughs> running millions of lines of code and passing terabytes of data back and forth with giant cloud data centers. Let me say it. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> this is the real Terminator scenario, isn't it? It's not sentient military robots. It's just armies and armies of rogue combine harvesters. And they're just- scary. I grew up in the country. These machines are scary machines. Like you don't want to get grabbed by one. Just saying. And you're, ta- you're talking about North American combine harvesters, yes. aren't you? Not like tiny little yeah. British... So five-story combine harvesters, you're talking about the sort of province gobbling <laughs> kinds. My, my understanding is that Canada and America are quite big, and they have <laughs> big farms which grow food yeah. and things, right? Some Canadian provinces are just one farm. So on these North American farms, they have combine harvesters, which are unmanned, I imagine, which are just sort of commanded, go drive that way. Whether they have seats or not... And mm. it's not just combine harvesters, it's tractors and, and other heavy farm right, machinery. Yeah. They are all now things right. on the Internet of Things. They are part of this connected network. And there's a lot of uh, data exchange. So companies like John Deere can hoover up all this data about what's happening where. And then they can actually say to the farmer or the farm machinery, this is when you want to do stuff. Yeah. This is when you want to plant. This is when you want to fertilize. This is when you want Don't to think, just do. harvest. Yeah. 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 Is it a bit like HP printers, which try and sign you up for this ink deal? I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sucks. They get you to subscribe to ink cartridges and they tell you, oh, you're running a bit low on ink. We're going to send you some more and debit your credit card. That sounds like one of those thought experiments. What if farm machinery was like HP printers? Oh, well, we'd all starve. (laughs) I'd like to harvest the corn today. I can't find the cornfield. But but it's the same cornfield that you harvested yesterday. But I can't find it now. Where's it gone? Anyway, back to John Deere. As it happens, what I'm trying to say is John Deere is actually a very, very serious software vendor. um, And according to Roberts, it has never had a single publicly disclosed software (laughs) vulnerability in any of its products. Not one, not ever. Thank you. Ding, ding. Game over. There were two little words there. (laughs) There were two little words that caught my eye. (laughs) Publicly disclosed? Yep. No publicly disclosed security vulnerabilities (laughs) ever. So computer security solved. We just need to ask John Deere what they're doing because it's amazing. And if we can all just do that, then we can go home. And I'm, you know, I'm sorry that it means the end of this podcast, but you know, it's a small price to pay. And any security researcher who thinks he's found a vulnerability, if they'd like to take a really close look at this threshing machine, go on, lean in, have a good look. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like to reward you with a trip around the factory. Here you are. <laughs> Put your head I've right just, here. I've just dropped my <laughs> USB stick just about <laughs> under those blades. Yes. Anyway, it's not just John Deere. Uh, so as you know, like publicly disclosed vulnerabilities go in the common vulnerabilities and exploits database, the CVE database. Mm. And John Deere, nothing in the CVA database. None of its major competitors do either. The whole sector got this thing sorted. Sona, <laughs> computer security solved. Mm-hmm. How good is that? I mean, it's amazing. It's almost 
too good to be true. Should we be buying our computers from John Deere, maybe? (laughs) Maybe. So as you know, computer security these days relies enormously on a community of security researchers that don't work for you. If you're a company, then actually you're massively reliant on the efforts, either directly or indirectly, of third-party security researchers, either because you use software that they have helped protect or that software uses other software or libraries that they have helped protect or because they're helping you directly either on a voluntary basis or for bug bounties or for whatever reason. But their involvement is enormously important to the functioning of the whole security ecosystem. But if you're a security researcher, how easy do you think it is to get hold of a $1 million (laughs) combine harvester in order to go looking for problems? Uh Ah, so they don't have the kit. It's not an Android phone, is it? Right. I mean, it probably is, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Underneath all that metal. Yeah. Yeah. And the really worrying thing about that is when you talk about something like a million dollars, so is a million dollars an impediment to a freelance security researcher? Yes. Mm. Is a million dollars a deterrent to a ransomware gang that has just successfully hoovered up $50 million ransom for a single attack? No. Probably not. Yeah. And what about a nation state attacker, you know, the kind of attacker that was attacking the Indian power grid back in autumn of last year? Would a fleet of giant threshing blades be of interest to them? And would a million dollars be a deterrent to them? Probably not. So, excuse me, guys, but you you and Paul Roberts in this article, are you perhaps putting some ideas into the minds of <laughs> evil folks? Is this responsible what you're doing? You've made an irresponsible disclosure of a potential. I'm sure John Deere has got this all covered. I'm sure they've got their own penetration testers and a brilliant team checking their systems all the time. Well, you've been considering that. I'm trying to, I'm racking my brains to remember that song. Didn't you guys in the UK have a song with Carbine <laughs> Combine Harvester? I've, I've got a lovely Combine Harvester. The Wurzels. So anyway, it, it, it goes on. I so think they were all rounded up by Operation U-Tree, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no evidence, but yeah, more than likely. Um, so... The, the thing is, so even if you could afford a million dollars or $800,000 or whatever it is to get a piece of heavy farm machinery. Chump change, yeah. You could find yourself in court if you did. What? Because it turns out that when you buy a million dollar piece of heavy farm equipment, you don't so much own it as have what John Deere calls an implied license to operate it. Ah, And there is an entire community of activists. I'm not going to go into it now, but there's a whole community of activists out there who will tell you that you don't have the right to repair your uh, John Deere or other heavy farm machinery, which these days, you know, it's heavy farm machine wrapped around a computer and the software itself is extremely important to the operation of that machinery and to the business of John Deere. And it is protected by copyright law. And there's a whole legal fight going on, uh, people trying to uh, get the right to repair the equipment that they thought yeah. that they have purchased. Now, there are arguments on both sides because I can, I can see reasons why it might be a bad idea to let people hack their own giant killing mm. blades. Um, <laughs> but but, but it, it's a thing. So assuming you did manage to get your hands on a tractor and you didn't fall foul of the copyright uh, lawyers... Um, there is, according to security researchers, no way for you to report your findings, even if you did manage to find something. 
Well, but, come on, you could just email the web admin or something. Sure, sure, that always works. Speaking as an ex-web <laughs> admin, let me tell you, <laughs> I was on top of those emails. <laughs> now, uh, security researchers will find a way, and just a few weeks ago, a researcher who goes by the name Sick Codes revealed that they had signed up for a John Deere developer's account and had actually managed to report some bugs to John Deere, including one that allowed them to download the data of every owner of every single John Deere tractor in the world. Dun, dun, dun. Now, a bit like I was explaining so beautifully with the WhatsApp uh, situation earlier, what happens is these tractors use APIs to talk to the sort of John Deere mothership. Mm-hmm. And one of those APIs, you send it a VIN, a vehicle identification number, and it sends you the details of who owns that vehicle. Like their name and their address and when their license started and Lovely. all this kind of stuff. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they tried to report this thing in a number of different ways. Because there isn't an official way to report these bugs, as so often happens, the, the researchers actually try very hard to get in touch. And they, they send emails, but they don't want to reveal sensitive information yep. over email, so that they're, they're twittering and so on. <laughs> so they and, thought and, they were scammers. <laughs> yeah. Eventually... <laughs> They did actually manage to get hold of somebody, and that person said, go and submit the bug through our Hacker One account. Oh. Now, you, you've heard of so Hacker do One. Have one. Now, yeah. Yes. I, is it Hacker One or Hackeroni? I heard somewhere it's supposed to say Hackeroni, <laughs> which I refuse to do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, John Deere said, report it through our Hacker One account. So Sitcodes logs into the Hacker One account. And it turns out there's only one security researcher registered on the HackerOne account. Oh. Uh, and it's them. And the HackerOne <laughs> account was opened that day. Fancy that. So HackerOne is a bug bounty thing. You know, like if you want to do, if you want to offer people bounties for finding bugs, you open a HackerOne account and they submit it through HackerOne and HackerOne do the brokering and then eventually the, the researcher gets paid. So did they trump the, or there was just one researcher listed or was it? There was one researcher listed because what had happened is the HackerOne account had been opened that day for the specific purpose of dealing with that one developer <laughs> and no bounty was being offered. So why was there a HackerOne account? Because the one thing the HackerOne account did have was a non-disclosure agreement attached to it. Oh. Oh my God, how... That's quite smart and cunning, but awful. So it looks huh. an awful lot like an attempt to catch and kill the story. Yep. Well, t- you, you screwed up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sitcoats didn't sign up. They did find a way to make their bug reports. They reported two bugs. And to their credit, John Deere actually fixed them rather quickly. And, I mean, John Deere do employ security people. And they do say that they take security very seriously. Oh, that's fr- I've never heard that before. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but my takeaway on this is I think that there are two kinds of company in the world or two kinds of industry sectors, really. There are those that have been absolutely raked over the coals by cyber criminals and those that haven't. And the ones that look like they're doing really badly are just the ones that are in the process of being raked over the mm. coals. And the ones that look like they're doing really well are the ones that just haven't been raked over the coals yet. And so obviously what's happening here with John Deere just looks like all the other industries in the world, all the other companies in the world that have not yet had that encounter with serious uh, cybercrime, which inevitably they will. Sad to say. Wow. So we're going to have to carry on doing the podcast, guys. Yeah, and until then, watch out for those freaking combine harvesters, kids. 
You know what? I, I was thinking, how would I disclose to someone like John Deere that there was a problem with their tractors and their combine harvesters? And a thought occurred to me, if you can't reach them via Twitter or email or HackerOne, you could, you know, crop circles. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you could. <laughs> Kroll, have we got, have we done Kroll's story yet? Or was that? No, what, no, no, was no that? it just feels like it. Sorry. No, as usual, we just had two men rabbit on forever. No, it's good. Kroll, it's good. what have you got for us? Right, Question. Have you heard of gripe sites? If I say gripe sites, you go, oh, yeah, I totally know what that is. I assume it's some sort of absolutely like beyond the pale porn. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking Twitter, isn't it? <laughs> Just where people go to have a moan. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like Twitter. So these gripe sites, so-called gripe sites, have names like badgirlreports.date or bustedcheaters.com or worsthomerecker.com. And most people haven't heard of these sites because they're actually not really designed for people per se. They're designed for computers to sniff out. So so is, is it like a computer is considering going on a date with another computer? <laughs> it can look up Vic 20 and Amiga whether or not 500. that computer is a good date. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's more like if just computers are seeing it, not people. Many people might think, oh, well, who cares? Well, I'm here to say you should care. Mm. So so the problem is, say someone like me put something up on one of these sites about one of you, you might not all be feeling perky and gay because as soon as something is posted on one of these sites, they mushroom out of control. They can get cross-posted across all of mm. these sites. Now, you think no one's reading this, so who right. cares? But yep. the thing is, is Google reads them and Bing reads them. And the upshot is, is that it can sink your online reputation in La Stinky Merd because these shit posts often rise to the swirly heights of the first page Google rankings. So if you listed me, Kroll, on terriblepodcasthosts.com, for instance, right. for my crimes against podcasting then when people googled my name <laughs> they would see that i i'm a terrible podcaster yeah the new york times cashmere hill and aaron Krolik, two journalists investigative journalists at the new york times in the tech sector they did a bit of research okay there's a bunch of links in the show notes they have way more information but effectively this reporter team created a software program to download every post from a dozen of the most active complaint sites or gripe sites they collected more than 150,000 posts and then they set up a web crawler that searched Google and Big for thousands of the people who had been attacked on these sites. And for about a third of them, the nasty posts appeared on the first page of their Google or Bing results. Yeah. Right? So, so yeah. So, so basically, you can't kind of control it. Your, your reputation's in tatters at mm. this stage. So what they decided to do New York Times, is they wrote a shit post that said that Aaron Krolik, one of the journos in this team, Aaron Krolik, New York, is an unqualified loser, along with like an awkward selfie. And they posted that up on one of the sites. And then they did a kind of similar version of the same insult, but with unique watermarks to allow them to track if it showed up anywhere else. That must oh, have been okay. a very awkward conversation in the office. <laughs> They're like, imagine you're... One of you two decided, okay, right, so for the benefit... <laughs> what can we say? For, what for can journalism, we say? <laughs> for journalism, I will allow my name to be rubbished. What should we say? <laughs> <laughs> um, not his big fat s***. 
no, it's too much. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't you know that? That was Crikey. Didn't have to think about that, did you? <laughs> no. Dot com. Storing that up. Then they both watched as a constellation of sites duplicated the creation of Aaron Krolik, New York, is an unqualified loser. So if this happens to you, I mean, Graham, you've got a bit of a inflated reputation. Carol, can I ask you a question first of all? Yeah. Do you remember we did a story on our wonderful podcast some time back about one of these sites? And what they were doing was they were posting up, I think, images of people who'd been arrested. And the whole scam was that you could pay the website money to have your entry removed because they had your screenshot and it was appearing mm-hmm. in the Google search engine. I mean, well, I'm just wondering, what is the motivation for the people who are running these sites? Are they always created with good intentions, even though it then gets skewed? Or is there actually some commercial evilness behind well, it? Well, hold the phone, because it might all, all right. become clear, okay. but you're sniffing along the right trail. Okay. So, okay, so this happens to you guys. So what do you do? Okay, so there's all this stuff. So you go and, you know, go check out your your your, your online personality and you put in Graham the King Cluley, right, into Google. And it says, I'm a big fat <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. So what do you do? And it's like on page one. Well, what I would do yeah. is I would yeah. produce a, <laughs> a whole load of content involving my name to try and push it off page one. Exactly. You would counterattack yes. to drown out the shit posts with legit posts. Absolutely. Is that what this is all about? <laughs> that is what GrahamClearly.com is all the about. Podcast. My website. <laughs> what are you trying to keep quiet, Graham? <laughs> <laughs> so that would happen if someone did it just once and then got over it. What happens, however, in a lot of these situations is that the posts keep coming, right? right. So there's new posts all the time. Now, any other ideas of what you would do, Mark? Would you do the same thing? What would you do? My first thought was actually to do the same thing because there are these sort of reputation yep. cleaning companies that will try and do that. Like, there's no, there's no guarantee that it's going to work because they're kind of using the same sort yeah. of technology and trying to reverse engineer what Google is thinking. So, is there someone that you could? Can you go to these sites and say, "Can you remove me?" you've made a mistake or can you remove me if I explain the mistake by writing it on these stack of dollar bills? Or could you make a DMCA complaint about the the copyright of the image? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super smart. Great tip. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's Mark, it's interesting because you talked about reputation management firms. This is a budding business. Okay, now traditionally, these were used by PR firms, Mm. right, to help organizations stay in the know. So, for example, if someone was dissing a product or a service or your brand, your PR company would be like, hey, we need to take action and try and salvage some stuff. But since individuals have been commoditized to the point of becoming brands themselves, this industry is helping out CEOs, celebs, influencers, you know, to manage fallout like this. Are they the people that write the apologies for the influencers? (laughs) That's right. That's right. So the New York Times looked into this, wanting to figure out how these reputation firms actually remove these posts. Okay, but how much would you charge? So how much do you think it costs to remove gunk? Oh, this this has got racket written all over it. So uh, I'm going to say... a hundred thousand dollars. Ooh, much higher than it than the ones that they're able to get. So, um, one charge seven hundred fifty dollars or more per post removal. So, if someone shit posted you a hundred million times, that would 
quickly add <laughs> to, up yeah, to a lot yeah, of money. To, yeah, to a sum right? we're not going to add up now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. And apparently for the New York Times Journal, because of they did it against five different sites, and then, of course, that got replicated across, apparently they were in the ballpark of 20K to clean up his loseriness. <laughs> so, interesting fact, to your point... It seems to get opposed, remove, even the reputation companies do something that you suggested. They pay a bit of wonga. Mm -hmm. So if you are a reputation mm -hmm. management firm, you pay this admin fee to the gripe site's webmaster. <laughs> See, apparently they answer when you're offering the money, the web guy. <laughs> are they sat one chair across? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they're going to some little web interface and typing in a credit card number. And then when they finish typing it in, a little pop-up appears on the monitor of the guy sat next to them. So, oh, wow. so, so basically, you've got these, yeah, you've got someone shitposting about you. You go to a management firm and say, hey, dude, get rid of these posts for me. Here's 10K, 20K, whatever, you know. And then uh, they just go and give half of it to the gripe firm. And then everyone's quiet, right? And problem goes away. Is that? Do you think the problem goes away at that no, of point? Course not. Well, these things always now, end. Because what happens? <laughs> what do you think happens? Well, what do you think well, happens? Well, now the gripe site has learnt that that particular person results in them getting paid to have their profile taken down. So they wait a little. They wait a week or two and then put it up again. I would imagine. Apparently, a few months. Right. But yeah, whoa, behold! You're absolutely right. The posts reappear. So one disgruntled customer said he'd paid four grand in 2019 to remove two negative posts. And months later, he said copies of the posts began to reappear online. And guess what? He suspected the reputation management company for being responsible. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so if you go read this, if you go read the New York Times story, which is quite interesting, they were able to make this quite this nice tie between one of these big <laughs> reputation management firms and gripe sites. And their names are listed across different company letterings and papers and, and documents across firms. So, so based, yeah, so it sucks. It sucks. Right. So it seems these, these companies are running sites that produce slander and then running sites that make money by removing the slander. And they probably don't even have to decide who to put in, do they? I mean, there probably are enough people in the world who are annoyed yeah. enough with a bunch of other people that they'll go to these sites yeah. and go, well, I don't like Jeff Simmons. And then yeah. <laughs> Jeff Simmons mushrooms everywhere. And if he doesn't notice and doesn't care, it doesn't go anywhere. But if they put in, you know, Carol Terrio and that goes everywhere and you care about it, then... They've got a, yeah. a, you know, as Graham said, now they know. Yeah. So three months after the ex the experiment started for the New York Times, Aaron, the journalist loser, <laughs> who's now known yeah. by, right? Yeah. Um, the lucky volunteer, yes. You should hear what they call him in the office. <laughs> search results are suffering, right? <laughs> now, uh, Bing um, has helpfully recommended adding loser to a search when you look for Aaron Krolik. And when you Googled his name, Cheater News was the top of the image results. So, yeah, that sucks. So what do you do? What can is you it, do? Is all this stuff outranking the story that he wrote about? <laughs> yeah. What you can do is not work for the New York Times and volunteer to have your name slandered in this fashion. I think that's <laughs> the lesson I've learned. Maybe they give him a bonus. Maybe, maybe you know what? 
Byron, ask for a little kickback there. So there's not much you can do, but what you can do is you can fill out a Google gripe form. That's what I'm calling it. I have a link in the show notes. And you basically request there that Google not list these posts in its search results. And it mostly works, but it is less effective for images, which is a problem in our Instaland and Facebook world. But maybe, Graham, this is where your DMCA request to claim copyright on the image is very clever. Now, there is a big but in all this. This is where an attacker or a slanderer does it continually day in, day out, constantly flooding the sites with bad shit about you. Well, there are, there are this, this, uh, speaking as someone who's written some code, <laughs> I feel like this is. I, you could do this. You could do this to millions of people all at the same time, all the time. But, you know, in a way that would help almost because I then... I suppose it would, yes. Right? Because then everyone would be like, oh, and maybe deep fakes will help with this kind of shit. Because then you could just go, oh, yeah, deep fake. Because just everything's garbage. <laughs> Everything, Everything's a fake. Nothing is reliable. Deep fake, schmeek fake. Yeah. <laughs> Trust no one! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 1Password is the most trusted enterprise password manager and the number one solution for easily and securely managing all of the secrets your team uses every day. But machines have secrets too. These secrets give humans and machines access to other machines. They're how a database admin accesses a database or an app accesses another app. 1Password has just launched Secrets Automation, a new way to secure, orchestrate, and manage your company's infrastructure secrets. So now you can protect all of your company's most vulnerable secrets in one place. Find out more at onepasswordcom secrets. And thanks to 1Password for supporting the show. And welcome back. And you join us on our favorite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. Well, for the past few weeks, I have been recommending video games. (laughs) This week. Well, this week it's not a video game. This is a tabletop game which I've been playing with my son, and it's got a rather artistic bent. It is called Micro Macro Crime City. Mm. And it's not like any game I've ever seen before, but it's rather fascinating. So let me try and describe it. In the box, you get this enormous black and white line drawing of a map, sort of isometric view of a city. And there's all these little characters walking around the city in their cars and going into shops or drinking or, you know, in the bars, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's lots and lots of little detail, which you may not notice at first, uh, particularly if you've got bad eyesight like me and need a magnifying glass. And there are what you soon realize is that there are crimes being committed on the map. So you might see a body or you might see a car crash or you might see someone who's being held up with a gun. And as you look at the map, you see these little characters and you can see where they've previously been. So you can you can sort of plot where they've moved throughout the city over time. And so the idea of the game is to solve mysteries and bank robberies and so forth. Because you can see, oh, they met them and they got a crowbar and they poisoned his drink or something like this. It's really quite fun. There is a demo link, which I've included. So if anyone wants to try before you buy... 
normally this isn't an online game, but there is a sort of version where you can zoom in on the map and uh, see if you can solve the clue. Someone's but- died under a piano. I found that. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. I remember the piano case. Yeah. You had to work out, um, yes, who was responsible for that and a number Ooh, of people other people are smoking uh, jazz cigarettes. I didn't know oh, it was yeah, that type of party. Oh, it's <laughs> some of the some of the deaths are a little bit gruesome, but I don't think it's going to give anyone any nightmares. My son really enjoyed it. He's been loving solving the mysteries uh, on this. Is game. This, this is sounding a bit like Grand Theft Auto in board game form, is that? Maybe, may, maybe a little bit like that, um, which actually possibly leads. But with all the excitement <laughs> removed. No, Mark, I think you would appreciate this as you're a bit of an artist yourself. I'm famous in my house for my love of board games. Well, that's it, because you can begin to sort of work out motives for people and why they Ah. did various things. It's very clever. Anyway, it's called Micro Macro Crime City. Go and check it out. Lots and lots of fun. And that is my pick of the week. I just found a superhero outfit on a clothesline. Ah, Mm. Well, that, yes, because you have to, at one point, um, identify who dresses up as the superhero. Yeah, well, found. Mm. Okay. Mark, what have you got? Ah, well, mine's more a pick of the minute than pick of the week. I, I found this this morning, and it tickled me. Uh, so I was I was looking at a story this morning about McDonald's uh, ice cream machines, mm. and it, it turns out that, I didn't realise this, but in America... McDonald's ice cream machines are famous for how often they break. <laughs> yes, it's true. I know that. They're always broken. Yeah, there's a whole thing. There are internet memes and all sorts, which I, I didn't realise. Someone uh, has decided, somebody's created a website called mcbroken.com. So fire up your web browsers right. and go to mcbroken.com. Right. Um, and what they did, in their own words, they said uh, they reverse engineered McDonald's internal API... And they place $18,752 worth of orders for <laughs> ice cream every minute at every McDonald's in the US. And in doing that, they can figure out which of the McDonald's have got functioning <laughs> ice cream machines. So they give minute-by-minute minute updates about whether or not the McDonald's ice cream machine is working in your local McDonald's. So I think so, this started, like, last year. Is that possible? Because I remember seeing yes, it. Yes, I think it was uh, October 2020. I only found it this morning. I remember this. And it, I can't believe how big it's gotten. Because when I first looked at it, it was quite, t- you know, they had just started. So, uh, wow. Very cool. So if we if we look now... I can tell you, I can tell yep. you that 21.43% <laughs> of the McDonald's ice cream machines in San Jose are currently unavailable. Yeah, okay, it's unavailable is the word though, because I imagine that cleaning the ice cream machine is a pig. Ah, so you think they're deliberately oh, disabled? No, 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 that's no? not the case. Oh. I mean, it is the case, but that's not <laughs> it. So you only have to clean them. Every two weeks. That's kind of gross, isn't it? <laughs> what you do? No, no, no. What they, they they are these very, very sort of overly engineered things. And what they do is every night they heat themselves up, and they cook whatever's oh. left inside them and they sterilize repasteurize it. it. Oh, my yeah, they goodness. repasteurize it, and then that little whatever remnant there is then gets mixed into the the following <laughs> days. Uh, ice cream but it, it i mean it's it's clearly sanitary because you don't get to do stuff like that in that many restaurants for that period of time and it'd be um a gross health hazard but they do have to be cleaned every couple of weeks but they are 
uh, full of moving parts and they break all the time and it's a problem. There's a whole other story there. Anyway, mcbroken.com. Cool. Very cool. On that savoury note, Crow, what's your pick of the week? So last week I was listening to Hidden Brain and they had a shrink on there that said that young kids laugh like 300 times a day and it takes an adult three months to laugh that much, you know, <laughs> and you just think that's <laughs> freaking sad. Three months? Yeah. I bet they laugh like, you know, they, everyone laughs listening to this podcast and that's it until the next podcast. That's, that's, that's how low it is. for three months. <laughs> so my pick of the week this week is a silly website called Overheard in New York. Right. Okay. And this is where you either, uh, you can read snippets of conversations that have been overheard. So uh, a few that I liked was, you know, there's this distraught backpacker. How can you live in this city? My God, how can you live here? An old woman's like, what? Distraught backpacker, where are the trees? Where's the ocean? And you can imagine just walking by and hearing someone say that. Another one was, uh, so this, this girl says, so what you're saying is he couldn't afford the wastebasket, so he got a wife? And you just hear that, and that's all you hear. Are you with me? <laughs> I feel like I'm talking to myself. <laughs> Sorry, I was too busy looking at the website. I yes. never believed Tupac was dead, it says. <laughs> yes, I was trying to work out that one. <laughs> How, let me try this one. So girl one, right? Yes. I think true love is when you know someone isn't perfect, but you still think they are. Girl two, I thought love was when you could still feel butterflies in your heart, even after he tells you he thinks he's an elf. <laughs> Girl one, I keep forgetting that actually happened. I don't know how I would have taken it. <laughs> um, this reminds anyway. me a little bit of, um, so I can't remember if it's on Facebook or Twitter or something. There's something called Overheard at Waitrose. Which I oh, I a, like that. Which is a yeah. British phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like a posh yeah. supermarket. Class. It's a bit like a ghetto. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> the rough end of town, Waitrose. Okay. And this is my favorite one. So this is on a sister site. Coworker one, I wasn't that drunk by that point. I mean, I was sober enough to realize that they were branding each other's asses with cookie cutters. The boss says, sure. Coworker one, no, legit, sticking the cookie cutters in the fire and branding each other's asses. And then co co coworker two pipes up. Can you imagine shacking up with someone with an inverted Christmas tree pointing right up your pooper? <laughs> so if you're bored and you want a bit more laughter in your life, check out Sticky Pickles. But... <laughs> I, I, I see what you've done. I saw that. <laughs> I know what you're up to. But... in your ruddy podcast. But if... I, what I mean is uh, check Overheard in New York. Well, excellent. Well, on that cultural note, I think we've just about wrapped up the show for this week. Mark, um, I'm sure plenty of fellows would love to follow you online. What is the best way to do that? Well, don't Google me unless you want to follow the other guy. Uh, but if you want to follow me, go straight to Twitter. Go look for Mark Stockley on Twitter. But don't use an underscore or anything because there's a much more famous person who's got an underscore in their name. All right. And you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter and last have a G. And we're also on Reddit. Just look for Smash Insecurity up there. And don't forget, ensure that you never miss another episode. Follow Smash Insecurity in your favourite podcast app, such as Apple Podcasts. Oh, and while you're there... Maybe you'd like to give us a nice review rather than say something horrible about us. You know, just if you like us. Who's saying horrible things? I think it might, it might have been Tom Langford. I don't know. Someone, someone <laughs> went up there, said something, you know, derogatory at some point. I just think maybe if you do like us, let's, let's swamp the negativity with lots of good stuff. So go and say yeah. something nice about us. 
on Apple Clean Podcasts. our reputation. Yeah, this is how you do reputation management, is it? Now, where were we? Big fat thank you to this episode's sponsor, 1Password, and to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. And for episode show notes, sponsorship information, guest lists, and the entire back catalog of more than 224 episodes, check out smashingsecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. right reviews help a bucket load so if you like the show and you listen this far just go to the review page say something nice it'll make both of our days and huge thank you